Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Cassandra. I'm Cassandra, anorexic and compulsive overeater. Um, first, thank you, Veronica, for asking me to speak tonight. It's a huge honor to be here. Um, I've never been in the room seven and a half years, and I've never actually spoke at this meeting, so it's a privilege. Um, to get numbers out of the way, I came in in about May of 2008. Um, I got abstinent July 6th of 2008, and I've been abstinent ever since. Um, my abstinence is no recreational sugar, and I also maintain a healthy body weight as part of my abstinence. Um, so just what it was like, this is very squeaky. Um, <laughs> I, I was raised by addicts. My parents are both, um, my mom is actually now in recovery, which is a gift. Um, my dad is not, and I was, they met at like a rehab years before I was ever even thought of, <laughs> which just goes to show what my life was like as a kid. Um, and um, I, you know, was brought, I have an older brother, and my life was chaotic. I mean, my whole childhood was really chaotic, um, but my parents separated when I was three years old, and I don't actually have memories of my parents together. Um, I do have memories of them separating and one memory I do have is them fighting um, and that was kind of my whole life but so my first memories are around food I remember all of a sudden you know having custody now with my dad every other weekend and I wanted nothing to do it was like going to a bachelor pad and I wanted nothing to do with it um, and I remember the very first time I went to his house after you know my parents had separated eating an entire flat of strawberries at three and just sitting there on you know my brother was playing and my dad was watching me and you know didn't think it was per- you know pertinent to say anything or stop me from eating a whole flat of strawberries um I later developed an allergy because I ate <laughs> um but I you know it was chaos and I remember at such an early age just thinking and I remember eating all those strawberries and thinking, like, okay, things are going to be okay. Like, I hate being here, and I do not like my dad, um, but I'm here, and if I just have food to get me through this, I can do it. Um, and a lot of my childhood was compulsive overeating and, you know, sugar all the time. Um, it wasn't until later that I really got into the anorexia and the undereating. Um, and I, you know, was told that, you know, we were going to stay living. We lived in Canyon Country. My mom lived in Canyon Country at the time, and my dad had moved, and I was told that we would stay there my whole childhood, and I was like, okay, fine. Like, as long as I get to stay here and I don't have to go to dad's house too often, everything will be okay. Um, And that wasn't what ended up happening. Um, But, you know, my mom was working crazy amounts of hours, and we were really kind of latchkey kids, and I was, you know, at preschool from 7 in the morning till 7.30 at night, and I didn't have... I didn't have the interaction and attention that I felt, you know, I needed. And now looking back, it's sad to think about. Um, But I, you know, turned to whatever worked, and that was food and crazy food behaviors. Um, I remember sneaking food at a ridiculously early age and never got in trouble, and no one ever, you know, I wasn't, there wasn't a lot of supervision. Um, 
my dad ended up meeting someone who I still think he met before my parents ever separated. Um, but <laughs> she um, she is from New Zealand, and she actually moved out to the United States like a few months after they separated. Um, and all of a sudden, I mean, I remember the very first time I met her, and I just giggled the whole time because I didn't understand a word she was saying. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and she is now my stepmom and has been since I was, you know, a really little kid. Um but that was, it was just discomfort everywhere. I didn't feel comfortable at my dad and stepmom's house ever, um, and that continued really until I finally got full custody with my mom when I was older. Um, but it was just chaos. And my stepmom being from, you know, New Zealand, where it was very different than L.A., people walked to school safely, and it wasn't really a big deal. And she was raised very much by herself and her siblings, and that was kind of accepted for her, but she very much influenced my dad, and that was all of a sudden what my life became. By seven, I was walking myself to elementary school and, you know, going home after school for four or five hours alone with my brother, and we fought viciously, Um, and, you know, throwing remotes at each other's heads and just chaos, Um, and I never felt protected, Um, and Sibling, it was sibling rivalry, but I think a little bit extreme. And my parents just didn't really intervene with that. And I resented them for it and, you know, taken a lot of work <laughs> um, to get to a point where I don't resent them as much. Um, it's not <laughs> I wish I could say it. I'll talk about some developments <laughs> currently. But, um, and so that was, that was my life. And my brother was the he was the troublemaker and he was the one that was, you know, got suspended in fourth grade and I was the straight A student, the perfectionist to the core. Um, I taught myself cursive for fun when I was in third grade. Like that was just how I was and anything to succeed. And, you know, I, I remember saying to my mom at one point when I was really little, anything Alex does, my brother, I will do the opposite. Like, I just will do the exact opposite because he gets in trouble and I don't want to get in trouble. And it was anything to, not only did I not want to get in trouble, but there was the thought of, like, wow, maybe I'll actually get some positive attention from this. Um, and that just didn't happen as much as I would have liked. Um, and so my brother got into a lot of trouble, and I um, finally, when I was seven, we... My dad and stepmom, they were already legally married, but we they had a big wedding in New Zealand. So we went to New Zealand, and all of a sudden now I have all this different family and had never met these people. Um, and now I was kind of thrown into um, just a different life than what I, you know, I had lived in Canyon Country and was pretty sheltered up until that point. Um, and remember... I'm actually Jewish, but we celebrated Christmas with them, and my cousins, like, spoiled the, you know, Santa Claus thing, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I was devastated. Um, And so I – we traveled a lot, and that was part – that was a huge part of my story, and I am grateful for that, that I got to kind of learn the passion that I have for traveling, and I have been extremely lucky that, you know, despite all the chaos, that I did get to go on these – incredible international trips from the time that I was a really little kid with my dad and stepmom. Um, and it has completely shaped who I am today. Um, and thank God for those experiences because it showed me that there was more outside of just the chaos of my family. And there was this massive world that, you know, I could be a part of, I could go places and I didn't have to, it, it got me through. I mean, it really did. Um, 
And, you know, my dad is an addict and has used my entire life and still does to this day. Um, and I, he would grow pot in the closet hydroponically, and he was like, those are tomatoes, Cassandra. <laughs> um, until one day I was on the phone with my mom after school, and I was like, there's this tin, and it just smells weird. I don't know what this is. And she obviously knew what it was and was like, oh, my God, I can't believe my child just discovered, you know, my dad's pot stash. Like, ugh. Um, and so... <laughs> To this day, I never got into drugs. That is not my story. I have, I want nothing to do with them. I have an aversion to all of that stuff. Thank God, um, my brother dealt with that more than I did. Um, and I, you know, came down to school here in the valley, which was totally different than the fairly conservative school I was in, you know, in Canyon Country. Um, and all of a sudden you know, didn't have any friends because we, I came in in the middle of, you know, second or third grade um, and in the middle of the semester. And it was, you know, I came home with all these new colorful words I had learned. Um, and I, this kind of went on. We were home alone all the time. And in the middle of this, the way I bonded with, particularly with my stepmom, who was all about making stuff from scratch and baking from scratch. Um, I learned at a really early age, I would make dessert home alone for my parents that night as a hope that they would, you know, acknowledge that, you know, I had actually done something and I could get some positive reinforcement. Um, and so I had a tremendous amount of responsibility at a really early age and remember at, you know, eight years old doing all of my own homework and doing all of my own laundry and cleaning and all of the stuff that my brother never had to do because he wasn't responsible. And so here I was, his little sister, and I was extremely resentful um, because I was having to do all these things as he was sitting, you know, playing video games. Um, and hence a lot of the fights we had <laughs> after school when my parents weren't home. Um, and so I then went on to um, middle school, and I went to a performing arts school, and I did it as a way to get out of having to exercise because we did dance for PE, um, and anything to not have to run. I ran the slowest mile in, middle, uh, in elementary school, and my parents got a letter from, like, LUSD because it was so slow. <laughs> um, and I was not into exercise at all. I did not like it. Um, I was an active kid, but if it was anything I didn't want to do, I you know, forget you. I have nothing, I want nothing to do with it. Um, so I ended up doing really well in middle school and loved dance. I had done it when I was a little kid and, um, you know, it was an outlet for me. I got involved in set and light competitions and always won first place at these, you know, it was a California statewide competition and I was good at a lot of things and that was very much for me, where the anorexia kind of started to come through, and I now look back and can see that. Um, but I was started actually babysitting when I was really little, and the woman I babysat for was really thin and had just had – she had a baby three weeks before I started babysitting, and she looked amazing. And I just remember thinking to myself, if I can look like her, everything will be okay. And I was thin. I was never overweight. That was not part of my story. Um, but – it was the obsession and it was the craziness that started at such an early age. Um, so that started in middle school. It started all the crazy food behaviors with under eating and dieting. And, um, you know, I was eating sugar all the time. And if I wasn't eating sugar, I never ate real food. I mean, that is very much my story um, all the way up until I got abstinent. And it was 
craziness, you know. I mean, I was stealing money from my dad's wallet to go to the corner store to buy candy. Um, and, you know, my dad and my mom and my stepmom and my brother used to get into fights, crazy fights all the time. And I would literally be in the closet hiding, eating candy because it was like, it, you know, just quiet the noise and everything will be okay. Um, and that was that continued for several years, um, screaming matches all the time. And my mom was dating somebody who was really abusive and we were in the, you know, crossfire of that all the time. Um, and my parents never had a, didn't really have a civil divorce or separation. Um, and so it was just chaos all the time. Um, so finally when I, my brother had been getting bullied and I decided that I couldn't go to school in Los Angeles for high school. I knew that I was absolutely terrified and decided my dad and stepmom were going to actually move back to New Zealand. And I was like, you know what? If it means I don't have to go to school here, I will move to New Zealand. Had never been to a school there. Had, you know, been a couple times, but decided that, like, you know, if I moved to a different country around the other side of the world, <laughs> everything would get better. Um, and, you know, my dad used to say when I was a little kid, wherever you go, there you are. And I didn't. I mean, it's ironic now looking back. I'm like, really, Dad? Like, you moved to a foreign country and thought it would get better, too? But um, that was the way of thinking. And I moved, and things did not get better. They got way worse for me. Um, I was now separated from my mom, and we had already we had been pretty close. Um, and all of a sudden, I was in, you know, a foreign country. I mean, they speak English clearly, but it wasn't – I, you know, I was now the American kid, and, like, everybody at school knew who I was because anytime I talked in a class, the whole class would get dead silent, and I hated that kind of situation. I hated it. Um, and after being there for about six months, my plan was to go to school there and to then come back to the United States for college, basically. And after being there for a while, I realized that it just probably wasn't going to be possible for me to go to the schools that I wanted to go to because I couldn't get some of the classes that I wanted to get. Um, and now, you know, I probably could have, but I was looking for an excuse to get out of there. Um, and while I was there, I went into a ton of compulsive overeating. And there was a, there were bakeries on, like, every corner, it seemed, of every street. Um, and I was – everything was really cheap, so I was stealing change from, you know, my dad's change jar. And every single morning and every day after school and at school, I was going to the bakery and, you know, eating pastries and things that I had never – that we didn't really have here in the United States. Um, and I went crazy and gained – I say I gained 20 or 25 pounds in a few months, um, and as it completely spun me out. Um, I then decided after being there, and I I didn't enjoy it, but what I did while I was there to try to keep busy was I actually decided to learn Chinese Mandarin. Um, <laughs> right. And in like six or nine months became pretty fluent, could read, write, and speak it. Like that was, it was, I don't know how, like I did any of the things that I did, but I did. And um, I spent many days after school with a tutor and was completely like, fell in love with the language and the culture. And it was just anything to stay busy and you know I would I remember going out to a Chinese restaurant and ordering in Mandarin and my parents were like what on earth is going on? <laughs> um, and so I um that was the only thing that made it really hard for me to decide whether I wanted to come back to the U.S. because I knew I couldn't take Mandarin here in the United States in public school um and I really wanted to I wanted to continue it so um I ended up coming back after about nine months I was 
miserable there and became severely depressed. I was about 14. Um, and, you know, my stepmom was working all the time at a really high-powered position, which is part of why they moved there. Um, she wasn't home as often, so that maternal figure wasn't around much. And here it was, me with my dad, who was high all the time and had changed his career path um, and was, you know, had been in upper management and now all of a sudden decided to become a teacher and was going through what was probably a bit of a midlife crisis. Um, and I was in the middle of all of that. Um, so finally I decided to come back to the U.S. and I decided that in order for me to show up to school, which I now had missed a year, so I was a year behind, so the friends that I had had, the few friends, um, now we're going to be not, they weren't going to be in my grade, and I was nervous about it. So that summer, I decided to go on 500-calorie-a-day diets and, you know, was hiking Fryman in 103-degree weather, you know, three times a day because I had to lose this weight. And I rapidly lost all of the weight, um, and that high that I felt became my new addiction, and I could not... I couldn't stop. I was eating sugar, and then I was dieting. And my mom was going on diets with me at, you know, 600 calories. Like, it was insanity. Um, so got through a bit of high school, um, and it was an extremely intense school that I went to. Same thing, Acad you know, academia was never an issue for me. I was good at it, and despite the insanity in my head, I was able to succeed a lot of great th you know, succeed at a lot of great things. Um, so finally, I started getting, started having back problems when I was 15 or 16, um, and ended up hospitalized for them, um, and it triggered, the treatment for that ended up triggering another medical issue that we didn't know I had, and I went from being a straight-A student at the very top of my class to literally, like, falling asleep in class, couldn't stay awake, and didn't know what was going on. Um, so I ended up having to drop out when I was 17 um, and was devastated by it because I was on track to go to an Ivy League and here all of a sudden I can't even show up at my classes and let alone do homework. I mean, I had, you know, would fall asleep reading at five in the afternoon and sleep till the next morning. I mean, I got really sick. So I ended up at 17 um, struggling. I knew that I was struggling with some stuff and was put in therapy actually. And in therapy, I discovered that I I was never attracted to boys. That was never a part of my story. I didn't care. Um, I got a lot of attention and just had no interest. And through therapy, realized that I identify as a lesbian and was devastated by it. Um, despite the fact that like my family could not be more accepting and couldn't care less, but I cared. And you know, here I was, this person that had always talked about, you know, meeting a guy and having kids and the white picket fence and the whole thing and didn't think that I could do those things until I, you know, ended up coming out. Um, my coming out story is a big part of my story because it was very much intertwined with all of the food stuff. There was this lie I had been living, you know, my whole childhood and adolescence um, and ended up coming out and... Um, my dad and stepmom, it was hilarious. I decided to have a conference call with them and my mom at the same time <laughs> um, because they lived in New Zealand, and I knew at that point that I couldn't wait until they came back to the United States to do it face-to-face, -face. and I knew if I told either one of them before the other, they would be pissed off about it. So I ended up coming out with them all on the phone, and um, it was really awkward. <laughs> um, and I, before that, I... A gay uncle who has been married for 
35 years. Um, and I came out to them because I was so afraid that if I came out to my mom first, she would kick me out. And my mom, like, would never, ever do that. And yet, like, that was the level of fear that I had. And that was so much of how I handled life. Was I was in a tremendous amount of fear, and it's something I still struggle with today. Um, so I finally came out, and about six months later, right before my 18th birthday, um, I was seeing a doctor and he said to me, he was like, you know, the condition that you have is going to be fed by sugar. And if you keep eating, you're going to die. Like you are going to kill yourself. Um, and I had been in and out of the hospital and had many severe allergic reactions to things and almost died several times. My heart was kind of giving out. Um, and it was definitely worsened by the food stuff, but it was not, that wasn't the cause. And so I knew at that point that if I didn't do something about this, I was going to kill myself and I would be responsible for it. Um, and as much as I was depressed, I knew that I didn't want to do that. I had a lot to live for. Um, and so I ended up, I heard about OA from my mom, um, and I ended up coming to my first OA meeting right before my 18th birthday. Um, and I was incredibly lucky that I was so so desperate at such a young age and so willing to do the work that I do today. Um, and so got into the rooms and I found somebody who talked and I loved what she talked about and I wanted what she had. I didn't even know what that really meant, but I just remember being drawn to her um, and asked her to be my sponsor. And we started, we started working together. Um, when I got into the rooms, I was convinced that I needed to lose weight, and I weighed actually a little less than I do now, so clearly did not need to lose weight. Um, but by stopping to eat sugar, I lost 10 pounds, because that was literally all I ate, um, and ended up having to gain back all of that weight and a little bit more. And that was when, that was when my recovery really, truly started, because... For me, letting go of the sugar was incredibly important, but it was very much just the first stepping stone, and I didn't realize how much denial I was in. And my sponsor would say to me, you know, you really kind of restrict your food. And I was like, no, I, what are you talking about? Like, I binged on that meal last night. And she's like, there's a difference between a binge and a meal. And I had to learn the difference between the two because I really, truly thought if I ate, you know, a protein, a starch, and a vegetable, that that was a binge. And it was not a binge. Um, but I was used to eating, you know, a slice of chicken and some celery sticks and a little bit of fruit for a meal. Like, that was my definition of a stain-sized meal. Um, so that started, I mean, I remember her telling me I needed to gain the weight back that I had lost, and my doctor had also said it, so I, you know, if she had said it on her own, I would have never, I don't think I would have ever done it. Um, but, and as I started to do it, I had to, I had to come up with a food plan that was going to work for me. And I have a lot of food allergies and food intolerances. And um, it started with the basics. I mean, I remember my sponsor saying to me, you know, you're going to need to add a little bit of oil to your meals. You need healthy fats. Like, those are really healthy for you, and you need them. And I had this idea that fat made you fat. And it's, it's not true. Um, and I had to – I literally started with a quarter of a teaspoon of olive oil because I was so terrified – that if I added some of that oil, it seemed like it was so much more when it was cooked with or on the plate, and that it was insanity. I mean, it was completely insane, and I did step work around every piece of food that I added because I could not do it on my own. I just couldn't. Um, and so as I started adding food, I slowly started gaining weight, and every week I weighed in, it was a complete meltdown for two days, and I was... 
a wreck about it. Um, and I remember at one point saying, like, I need to be in treatment because I'm so terrified of eating. I just can't do this. And for better or for worse, that wasn't in the cards for me and, you know, wasn't possible financially. Um, so I knew that I was kind of on my own and had to do this through the 12 steps, um, which now I'm incredibly grateful for, but at the time I wasn't. Um, and so I started working the steps with this sponsor. Um, and, you know, the, just to back up a second, the process of identifying my abstinence was something that I didn't understand, nor did I I mean, she helped me with it, but at first I said, I was like, okay, my abstinence is going to be no binging. And while that may work for some people, I didn't know at the time binging wasn't really my thing. Um, And so that wasn't going to do anything. (laughs) Um, And I remember emailing her one night and saying, oh, my God, I binged. I broke my abstinence. And she was like, honey, like what you ate was not a binge, but I do think that you probably need a little more clarity around your abstinence. And so for me, that was where the no sugar thing started. And part of the reason I chose the no binging was because I knew I just thought I was going to set myself up to fail. I had never gone more than four days without eating sugar and just was convinced there was no way anybody was like, you're all lying. Like none of you are actually (laughs) abstinent from these foods, despite seeing pictures and, you know, Um, but that was how my disease manifested was I just, I thought everyone else was lying when I was the one that was lying. I was lying about everything with my food, with my behaviors and just didn't, you know, it was insane. Um, So finally got that abstinence and started that and um after eating for the first several weeks I ate like you know six pieces of fruit a day and she was like okay like maybe it's time to start you know getting a little more clear and letting go of some of those things because I can eat particularly fruit I have to be careful even now that like I can eat crazy amounts of fruit and yes it is abstinent um but for me it's not sober and I want sobriety around my food um And as an anorexic, I needed to not only abstain from sugar, but I also needed to have sobriety. And I know that for some anorexics, they can't restrict foods because it's too hard for them and it kind of makes them crazier. But for me, all of the relief came from letting go of that sugar. Um, And so I obviously don't eat it today, Um, but started adding food. And I got to a point where you know, it started with baby steps. So it was like, okay, I'll have four ounces of a protein and it could be any protein. Well, then of course I found all of the lowest calorie everything that I could think of because I was a great dieter, really great at it. Um, And my sponsor would email me and be like, well, wait, is that such and such product from Trader Joe's? Because that doesn't really count. Um, And I had to, you know, let go of the low fat egg white salad at Trader Joe's because, you know, that doesn't count as six ounces of protein for me. Um, And I have a fast metabolism, so I have to eat a lot, and that was something that I struggled with, um, and at times still can. Um, But I was continuing, thank you, to work the steps through all of this, um, and I, you know, to kind of fast forward a little bit, was able to, I got to the ninth step with this sponsor. Um, She did questions that were from, I think, a shoot-off, technically, of this program, um, but they were incredibly powerful for me, and I, she took her sponsor hat off with me after a couple of years, and I was devastated, Um, but I knew that my recovery wasn't contingent on her, and so I was able to find another sponsor, um, and it took a few years for me to really find a sponsor that I connect with um, and somebody who has what I want, Um, and that was something that was really hard because I'd had such a positive experience the first time and really connected with that sponsor and grew to trust her a lot. 
And now I have a new sponsor. I've had a new sponsor for, I don't know, since the beginning of the year or so. Um, and I'm working the steps. I finished the steps with her and then another sponsor after that. Um, but I'm now working the steps again, and I will work the steps forever. I, I just, I know that any issue can come up, and I have the steps to work on them. I'm in a relationship and have been for two years, um, and issues come up, and I work the steps on it, and I talk to my sponsor about it. I share at meetings about it, um, and my health has continued to be a huge challenge, um, and some of you know I've shared. I had two spine surgeries um, back-to-back in May of this year, and they were my actually like third and fourth spine surgeries in a few years, and to be able to walk through that terrified. I mean, I was terrified. I, you know, many people in here remember. <laughs> um, and sharing at meetings that I was, you know, it was going to be a 10-hour surgery and there was a risk of them hitting an artery and killing me. You know, I mean, it was just a very nerve-wracking experience. Um, and I was able to talk to my spine surgeon and say, you know, I had a horrible time with pain management before. We need to do something different. And part of my story has been I now speak up for myself. And I was able to start doing that with people in the rooms, and I was able to carry that out into other areas of my life. Um, So I speak up with my doctors, and if something doesn't feel right, I say something. And if something isn't going right, you know, I have an issue with my mom, I'll say something to her in a gentle way. Um, And I've learned how to do that in these rooms because I was the yes girl. I said yes to everything, whether I wanted to do it or not, and I get to speak my truth today, and that is a huge gift. So where I'm at now is I, you know, I'm recovering from spine surgery. I was able to go back to school part-time. It hasn't been every semester like I would like it to, Um, but I plan to get my degree, and I have dreams that I am able to actually take baby steps towards achieving, and that is such a huge gift for me because I was very all-or-nothing, and if I didn't get into Harvard, then anything below that was a failure and I was a failure as a result and I'm now at a community college um, and it has been a very humbling experience for me Um, and you know I've learned that life doesn't always go the way that I want and there is a tremendous amount of um, I've had to have a lot of faith through all of that and you know showing up to a class that is for me too easy that like I'm like I could sleep through the class and do fine And I go anyways, and I do my best, and I, you know, get to participate, even though I would rather sit in the back and, you know, tell you all to screw off. Um, So I, you know, have a completely different life today. And, you know, my brother just had a psychotic break as a result of drug use um, for the second time in five years and has been to rehab a couple times. And, you know, I got to show up for that the best that I could and I got to talk to my sponsor about it and you know I also see outside help and I was able to talk to that person about it as well um and you know I get to keep my side of the street clean and whether he decides to take medication or not is up to him and if he at one point was saying he wanted to be homeless and you know there's nothing I can do I know that I can't fix it I can't control it and I love him to death but I also have to distance myself because my mental health and my abstinence and my recovery comes first. And so there were times that, you know, the whole family was scrambling and I was like, I'm going to my meeting, like, you know, be there, see you later. (laughs) Um, And my recovery comes first. It is everything to me. Um, And I just, 
I have a life today that is beyond my wildest dreams, and it is challenging. Um, I used to get irritated when I hear, heard people say that because I was like, what do you mean? You don't have challenges? And that is not the case. Um, I have plenty of challenges, but I'm able to deal with them abstinently and, you know, one day at a time, one step at a time. So I think I'm going to wrap up there, and I'll just take questions for the last few minutes. Thank you. Yeah, so with my surgeries and my health, how do I use the program and the steps to walk through that? Um, I, it kind of depends on what I'm dealing with. Because I've been through so much now, I am able to, I kind of know how to handle things and don't necessarily need to work on every single thing that I deal with every time. Um, but I do, you know, my abstinence comes first, right? So that's always the foundation. And then I share at meetings about things. Um, I have learned how to find safe people in these rooms that I can talk to because the reality is that when I first came in, people had a hard time hearing it. And I was felt like what I felt like I was burned by somebody who I got close to that was able to was no longer able to kind of be there for me with health stuff. So I've had to try to find safe people, and I now have a few of those people in my life that I will make an outreach call to. I was having a really invasive test the other day and was sitting at Cedars for seven hours and made a phone call about it and have, you know, the app on my phone, the big book, and was reading through the big book, um, and I turned to God. I mean, I really, truly, I have, the most amount of faith for me has come through actually the health stuff, um, and it started obviously as a foundation with the food that I if I could abstain, then I could also do these other things. And so I do writing about it. I do a lot of Dear God letters. Um, and it's even just in the car on the way to go have a test done that I don't want to have done. Um, you know, saying the serenity prayer. I was having this MRI done and lying there for 45 minutes. And the entire time I was saying, breathe God in and breathe fear out. Breathe God in, breathe fear out. And so that's what I tried to do after my back surgeries, you know, as I was in outrageous amounts of pain. Um, tried to, I have meditations on my phone that I, you know, would put my earbuds in and try to listen to those. Um, so I use whatever I can in the circumstance. I, there are times that obviously getting to meetings for, a, you know, a couple months after my surgery wasn't, I wasn't able to be consistent about it because I couldn't sit. Um, but I can use other tools. I can make outreach calls. I can listen to podcasts. I can do all of those things. So I used all of the tools on my health stuff just as I would any other issue. Um, and that has, you know, helped me get through. Um, it's totally imperfect. It is not perfect by any means. Um, but I, you know, do it one day at a time. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, do I have a morning routine? Um, so I have to be honest, I'm not a morning person at all. Um, so I don't have a perfect morning routine. Um, my days are different every day. Right now I'm not in school, so I'm, you know, at the doctor's office several days a week getting IVs and we'll start physical therapy soon. So because my day differs, I it's not a perfect morning routine. So what I do try to do um, is daily I read for today. Um, and then even if I know I'm not going to be able to read the next day, I'll take a picture of the next day and put it on my phone so I can read it wherever I'm going to be. Um, and if for some reason I can't do that, I forget, then I do read something in the big book when I'm out, you know, sitting in a doctor's office or whatever. Um, and I 
try to meditate every day. It's not perfect. Um, I pray throughout the day. It's not, I don't necessarily have a structured morning routine. Um, and I did more so before my back surgery. Um, but physically, it's been really hard. Um, you know, sitting to write, physically write for long periods of time is a challenge. So it's been imperfect. Um, but yeah, it's, I try to use as many tools as I can in the morning. Um, I do send a tenth step in my food every single night. Um, I tend to do writing in those things at night better than I do in the morning. Um, and I prefer to do them in the morning, but it just seems to work better with my life to do it at night. So I think that answers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for your share. Um, how did you find the motivation to Um, how did I find the motivation to add in those foods that were that I was afraid of? Um, with a lot of help. <laughs> um, I would talk to my sponsor about it. Um, I have struggled to find other people with recovery from anorexia that I really, at the time particularly, could connect with. Um, and so I had to talk to the people that kind of understood it and I knew I thought everyone was out to get me so like I thought my sponsor was lying about calorie amounts like I it was crazy um and so I for a long time you know I only made my own food and I I, like I said it started with a tiny amount of oil and I was terrified of oil oil was my thing like if you cook with oil forget it I'm not eating it if it looks slightly oily I'm not gonna eat it um so it was through working the steps and thank you um and baby steps. It was tiny little baby steps. I could not have done, my food looks very different today. I can eat plenty of oil fast and it's not an issue, but at the time it was tiny, tiny little steps. So I hope that, yeah, and you can talk to me after too if you want. Yeah. All right. Thank you.